second passage is Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoings. Whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Ant. It's lovely to see you. My name is Paul. If you haven't met, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, so please keep your Bible open there. I want you to imagine it's 7.40 on a Sunday night. And you're in church, and you've just spent 15, 20 minutes of the most amazing worship. And your heart's close to God, and been encouraged and inspired by all these people talking about what God's doing in their life and open microphone and and then Johnny gets up to pray. You think, wow, what a prayer is Johnny. And the prayers are so eloquent and they're so theologically inspiring and he prays for people and parliaments and he prays for the community and our church and for the world and for the worries of life and you're thinking, wow, what a and John is thinking, wow, what a great prayer I am. And Johnny sits down and thinks, ah, oh, it's good to be in church. It's good to pray. I feel really good about that. Let me ask you a question. Why, why did Johnny bother to pray? Who was he praying to? You ever thought that? In, in a prayer meeting or an open prayer, someone stands up in the most eloquent prayer. You think, who are you talking to? Are you talking to God, your Heavenly Father, or are you trying to impress me? Are you lifting all your petitions, your needs to your Heavenly Father who knows and sees everything? Or are you just out to get the applause of people? Uh, someone said to me at this church that they would love to 
be on the prayer roster, but they were fearful that they'd be judged. They might not use the right jargon, almost like they, they, they felt like people would have a scorecard as to how good they were as a prayer. How sad is that? And so what we're talking about tonight is, is what, what I call authentic Christianity, not hypocritical Christianity. It's possible to be in church and lead the worship just to be seen, to pray the prayers just to be heard, to preach a sermon just to get the applause, well done, great sermon, and have no actual devotion or dedication to your Heavenly Father who sees and knows everything. And the word hypocrite, you know, is being labeled at Christians and churches since time began, and it's true. We can claim to believe one thing and do one thing, but actually we, our hearts are miles away from that. And in this section, Jesus just said, chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect. 5, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a high bar, isn't it? And here's the tension, the, the greater the demand for holiness or perfection, the greater the opportunity for hypocrisy. The more different we're called to be, the more religious we can become. But it's all duty and no heart. And I hope you know that it's easy for your Christian life to become performance or show or duty where you just want to be accepted by the crowd, playing to the audience, rather than just longing to please your Heavenly Father. And I love the fact that Jesus says, chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect. But chapter 6, verse 1, be careful. Be perfect, but please be careful how you live your Christian life. Get rid of your hypocrisy. Let's have authentic faith, shall we? He says, be, be careful not to practice your righteousness. That is, your, your giving, your fasting, your praying, your loving your enemies, your telling the truth, doing all these good things in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And that's the sobering truth, isn't it? It's, it's perfectly possible to speak words of comfort with all the wrong motives. It's perfectly possible to show kindness and compassion to the sick and the needy, but it's all for yourself, to make yourself feel good. And it is perfectly possible to pray the most eloquent prayers, lead the most inspiring worship songs, preach the most extraordinary sermon, and lead the most amazing large-scale events. But it's all show, because you want the applause of people. And verse 1 is so blunt. If that's your goal, to receive the praise of people, well, you've got no reward from God in heaven. And I've been really grappling with how to preach this sermon tonight. Now he talks about giving and praying and fasting. And so I could give a sermon on giving, praying and fasting, but that's not what Jesus' point is all about. He, he just assumes that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then giving, praying and fasting are part of your normal Christian life. He doesn't say if you give and if you pray and if you fast. He says when you give, when you pray and when you fast. He takes it for granted that you are giving, fasting and praying. His main point is what is your 
motivation, what is your attitude or what is your audience when you do those things? I'm going to ask you directly, what is your audience? Who is your audience as you sit here? Do you come to meet with God or just impress people? See, the wrong audience is other people, isn't it? Seeking the praise of people, playing to the crowd. Lots of repeated words in this section. Uh, one is the word hypocrite. comes in verse 2. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Down in verse 5 again. Whenever you pray, you mustn't pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray to be seen by people. Say in verse 16, when you fast, don't be sad place like the hypocrites. And that, word, that word hypocrite, it literally means actor. Same word, actor, play actor. You know, the actor who takes the stage and gets into character. Right. Tonight I'm going to play tragedy. Tonight I'm going to play comedy. Tonight I'm going to play period drama. And the stage is theirs, and they get into character, and they play the part. And Jesus says, no, church can be a stage. Church can be your place to play your part, and you can pretend and get into character. Tonight I'm going to play, welcome her with a happy smile, even though I don't want to be here myself. <laughs> Tonight I'm going to play the most extraordinarily eloquent preacher, even though my heart's a miles away from God. It's true, isn't it? We can stand here and we know the right words to say, we know the voice to put on, the posture to stand, the jargon to use. And if we use just the right amount of all that stuff, people will say, that was awesome, that was brilliant, well done. And Jesus says, you can be hypocrites. Verse 5 tells us they love to pray, but they don't love the God they're praying to. They just love the praise of people. That's the hypocrite. They do it, verse 2, to be applauded by people. They do it, verse 5, to be seen by people. They do it, verse 16, to be obvious to people. That's the audience, other people, the crowd, the congregation. Oh, Johnny, you're such a good prayer. You were awesome tonight. You know, with the hypocrisy, there are, there are two types of hypocrisy. There's the, the conscious hip hypocrites who, who know that they, they are in character. They don't really believe what they're saying or doing. I think even more dangerous is the unconscious hypocrites where they've played the part for so long, they're unaware that they're just going through the actions. It was Spurgeon who said, to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in your other hand is a posture of hypocrisy. So let me ask you a really simple question. When you pray and when you give and when you fast or when you just worship in church, are you here as an actor or is that authentic? The audience isn't other people. The audience could be yourself. You know, that, that desire just to feel good. You know, as an actor on the stage, uh, when the, the audience give you the round of applause, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? You take the bow, that inner glow. Wow, that was so good. I cut it tonight. I was awesome tonight. And Jesus condemns that. 
He says, verse 3, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, he's not saying there, you know, when the bags come around, close your eyes, stick your hand in your pocket, pull out a note, and don't look what you're giving. What he is saying there is that when you give, don't gloat over that and don't preen over that. And as soon as you've given the gift, just let it go. Don't bathe in self-glory and say, wow, I'm such a generous person. You know, when you give some money and you see somebody who's benefited from your giving, don't, don't, don't say, well, actually, that was my money that, that bought that for you. If that's your attitude, then, then giving is not an act of mercy, it's an act of vanity. Same with praying. Don't babble like the idolaters, verse 7. The idolaters just use lots and lots of words and they repeat themselves thinking that God will hear them if they shout louder or go through the motions. And again, we can do that, can't we? The idle repetitions as we sit down and talk to our Heavenly Father. Long, repetitive, babbling prayers. Dear God, please give me patience and Lord, I need your patience because I'm an impatient person. And Lord, your patience, so please give me your patience, Lord. And with, with Tracy in particular, I need your patience there, Lord. And oh, Edward, I need my patience there. And oh, Lord, I'm just desperate for your patience to overwhelm me, Lord. I think, what are you doing? Why are you babbling like that? I tell you why you babble like that. Because you feel good about yourself. You can tick the box and say, I had a five-minute prayer time. But you could have prayed in about ten seconds. Luther says that kind of babbling and bellowing that used to pass for prayers in church is so offensive to God. The fewer the words, the better the prayer. Why do we just talk and babble ad infinitum as if God hasn't heard us or if we need to twist God's arm? The real reason is it makes us feel good. Bonhoeffer said, I can lay on a very nice religious show for myself even in the privacy of my own room. Our heart has this amazing capacity for self-delusion because we, we crave human praise and we like to feel good about self. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel good about self. Don't always live here crushed or hating yourselves. But, but what is your motivation for giving, fasting and praying and, and doing all the, all the good religious stuff? There's one word in this passage that's repeated more than any other. It's easy to miss it, but it's mind-blowingly glorious. You spot the word, verse 1? Your Father in heaven. Verse 4, your Father who sees will reward you. Verse 6, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees will reward you. Verse 8, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, our Father in heaven. Verse 14, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. Verse 18, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your Father, your Father, your Father. See, that is the only audience that you should be concerned about. Your God in heaven who, who, who says to you, please call me Daddy. Have you thought about that truth? The, the Jewish people would call God Sovereign Lord, Almighty God, the, the King of Kings, the Mighty One. And God says, now call me Dad. Talk to me as though I'm the, like your Father in heaven. Kind, loving, gracious, compassionate, merciful. 
It is radical because when Jesus prayed, yeah, he was the son of God and he called God Father. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, Jesus says. Yes, Father, this was for your good, good pleasure. Now, this is the astonishing truth that if you sheltered under the cross of Christ, that the cross is not just a transactional thing happening. It's not just that your debts are paid and your sins are covered and you receive forgiveness. It's a relational thing. If you come to Jesus, Jesus says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I want you to call me daddy, father. How great the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. See, that'll change the way that you pray and the ways that you give and the ways that you fast. Because it's all about relationship, isn't it? Remember the story in the Bible of the, the son who acted so horribly and squandered everything. And he came to his sense and said, Father, I have sinned. And, and the father ran to him and flung his arms around him and said, Welcome home, son. That's how God wants to relate to us. He's not impressed by our religious nonsense. What he loves is when we talk to him as a child talks to their dad. And I'm very conscious for some of you like me that you don't have a great relationship with your dad. But if you imagine a, a father who is totally beautiful and perfect and loving and kind and patient and generous, always wanting to listen to you, Again, Luther says prayer is the conversation of the dependent and trusting child who's eager to voice both thanks and requests to a loving heavenly father. And the father is eager in turn to hear his request from his children. Now when you grasp that, it is totally liberating because you don't need to be seen to give. It doesn't matter because God sees. Your father who sees everything, he knows your generosity, and there's your heart behind it. Uh, when you fast, you don't need to be seen because God knows you're doing it. And when you pray, you, you don't need to impress him, do you? Remember as, as a child, when you just ran to your dad and you sort of blurted everything out and told him everything, that's how to talk to God. Verse 18, your father who sees in secret, will reward you. That is the Christian way, the way of secrecy. Not, not deception, but everything is done under the watching, loving, embracing gaze of a father who loves us more than you will ever know or ever imagine. But I need to ask you, is that you? This deep, growing, personal relationship with God as a heavenly father. You're so conscious of his abundant love for you, his compassion for you. He, he loves you like a child. And when you grasp that, it does change your view of church. If you get this right and the audience of one, your heavenly father, your rewards suddenly change. Because we're not concerned about earthly rewards. Verse 2 tells us the hypocrites have got their rewards in full. Same again down in verse 5. They've got their reward. Same again in verse, uh, verse 17, they've got their reward. What is the earthly rewards of the hypocrites? <coughs> good job, well done, pat on the back. And you feel good about yourself for how long? A minute? 
Oh, how about you get a trophy? Thank you so much. You were an awesome player tonight. Here's a, here's a trophy. Go and put that trophy on your shelf at home with all that other junk. And look at that trophy and feel good about yourself. Well, mate, you might get a plaque in church. And a hundred years' time, people can look at your name and think, oh, wow. It's all temporary. And what's the reward that you really long for? It's the reward from your father, verse 4. Your father who sees and seeks it will reward you. Same again in verse 6, he will reward you. Same again in verse 18, he will reward you. And I think that rewards, uh, are, they're multifaceted. It's, it's the reward of, of seeing the poor fed and the naked clothed. It's seeing people encouraged in their faith as your prayers are answered. It's seeing you develop a deeper relationship with your heavenly father as you love him more and be reminded of his, his peace and his majesty and his compassion. And it's the reward, I think, we'll see this next week, it's the reward of seeing people in heaven. That's the ultimate heavenly reward, seeing people in heaven because of your giving and your fasting and your praying. And that is worth far, 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 far more than 10 seconds of applause, isn't it? So who are you trying to please? Who's your audience? If you get this right, it will not just change your church life, it will change your whole life. So when you get this right, what does your giving look like? Well, Jesus has given a way that honors your Father in heaven. Uh, verse 2, when, whenever you give to the poor, notice that, that he says when you, whenever you give to the poor, he's not talking about general giving here, he's talking about giving to the poor and the needy, although the same principle applies, but Jesus assumes that Christians will have a heart for the poor and the needy and the marginalized. That's across the whole of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. There will never cease to be poor people in the land. That's why I'm commanding you, you must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. Psalm 41, happy is the one who cares for the poor. Proverbs 19 says the same thing. What he's saying is, as a Christian, you should have a heart for the poor and the marginalized and the needy. But there's a wrong way to do that. The wrong way is in verse 2. You don't blow your own trumpet. You don't sound a trumpet before you. It, it could be metaphorical. Look at me, look at me, I'm blowing my own trumpet. But in those days, it was literal. So in those days, a trumpet would literally sound. And, and the Jews would grab their money and they would run to the temple. And people had these kind of these mobs. Do, 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 big giver, clear the way, big giver, coming through with a million dollars. And it sounds ridiculous. We're not quite that obvious, are we? We're just much more subtle. Well, I served at Greenway last month and, you know, I actually paid for all the food myself. Why do you slip in that last sentence? Oh, there's a person at church and I actually gave some money to them because they're really in need. Why do you feel the need to tell someone that? Uh, try just doing it in secret before your heavenly father and it will change you. There's a lady at 530 Church who's gone through a really, really tough time this year. 
And every week, someone, some anonymous person has dropped a meal off at her house. She has no idea who it is. They've never left a note or a message. It just says from church by the bridge. I think that's beautiful. person down at Greenway who came and said, oh, someone dropped a bag of clothes from church by the bridge. You know who it is? I have no idea who that is. Just a note saying some clothes for you from church by the bridge. Now, the person who gives is not looking for praise from people. They don't want someone to stand up, open encouragement and say, hey, that person was a great giver. They've got their reward, the praise of their Heavenly Father. Same as fasting. Again, Jesus assumes that disciples will fast. Whenever you fast, he says in verse 16, that the fasting is an abstinence from food or something else for either a short time or a long time, and you fast so that you can deepen your dependence on God or it might be a period of deep repentance or deep remorse or particular guidance from a particular issue. So you choose to fast for a short or a long period of time. But what the, the Pharisees or the religious people did was they twisted it. And they walked around, verse 16, with glum faces or sad faces. They make their faces unattractive so their fasting is obvious to people. Maybe tonight, if someone was fasting and you go up to them after church and you go, are you okay? You look a bit, look a bit sad. Oh, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just fasting at the moment. I want to be closer to my God. In fact, I can't stay for supper because of the play, play, play of chocolate brownies. It's too tempting. So I, I'm just fasting. So please give me the space to fast. Why are you sharing that? Jesus says, if you do fast or when you do fast, just go about your normal everyday life. Verse 17, put all on your head and wash your face. In modern day terms, that would be have a shower, have a shave, use a deodorant, brush your hair, put on some clothes, get out, just live life. So nobody knows that you are fasting except your Father in heaven. Because when you fast, it's about you deepening your relationship with your heavenly Father. It's not about other people. What about praying? Jesus says, whenever you pray, verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. So what they did in those days, they'd, they'd stand at the crossroads so everyone could see them, north, south, east, west, and they would pray so everyone could see them. Wow, what a prayer. So eloquent. I love this quote from a church in America. It was apparently said to the person who led the prayers, they were the most eloquent and polished prayers ever offered to a Boston audience. So Jesus is not prohibiting public prayers, but what he's saying is when you pray, think about who your audience is. What are you, who are you praying to? When you pray, verse 6, Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. I don't know when the last time someone said to you, go to the room and shut your door. But Jesus is basically saying, your personal walk with God means that every day, go to your room, shut your door. Shut out the watching world. Switch off all your distractions. Turn off your phone, turn off your iPad, turn off your computer. Just you and your God. Have this secret place with your God because your, 
your public prayer life should be an overflow of your private prayer life. Do you remember last year when, was it this year? No, last year when Shane and Ruth Spark came to speak to us. And they talked about the, the, the lady in her pantry. Remember that story? This little Spanish lady whose pantry was probably, I don't know, about the width of this lectern and maybe back to here, so it was tiny. And that was her place of prayer. So every day she had a stool in her pantry. She closed the door and spent time with her God in her pantry. And that inspired me, you know. I don't know what your private place is. For me, it's, this might sound bizarre, but it's actually my office. And I go in there, I lock the door, and I, I shut the blinds, and I've got a prayer desk. And I just kneel at my prayer desk, and I just ignore everybody else. Someone said, if you are never alone with God, it's not because you're too busy, it's not because you have no time, it's because there's some problem in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Ask the question, do you, do you pray more frequently and more fervently when you're alone than you do in public? Do you love the secret place of prayer? If you get that right, then this that we do on a Sunday is just an overflow, isn't it? It's just an overflow of your daily walk with Jesus. So how do you pray, verse 9? This is ironic that the, the one prayer in history that's been babbled more than anything else is the Lord's Prayer. He's not saying that we should pray these exact words, but he says this is kind of your model of prayer. So in your secret place with God, in your private pantry with God, pray like this. Start with God's glory. Our Father in heaven, Daddy, who is the all-powerful, the almighty, the ruling one, who has total control over everything. You are glorious, God. God, may your name be honored as holy, revered. Uh, we can't pray, may your name be honored as holy, if we're not asking that for an, uh, in our own life, can we? We've got to say, Lord, work in me so that I revere your name and I bring glory to your name. Your kingdom come, God. You, you are king. You do rule. I'm asking your kingdom would grow and people would come to faith and more people would bow their knee to Jesus. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Your will be done. You are in control here, God, so do what you need to do in this world, God. When you're in that private place of, place of prayer, start with God and his glory and his honor. But remember, he's a father, so he cares for you, so he knows your needs, so pray for your needs. In verse 11, give us today our daily bread. I don't reckon we get verse 11, do we? We've got fridges full of food, we've got bank accounts full of money, we've got wardrobes full of clothes. We are not daily dependent on our Heavenly Father like we should be. In Jesus' day, the worker was paid daily. No, pe no work, no pay, no pay, no food. And so that line, give us today our daily bread, is saying, God, I'm totally dependent on you for this next day. Lord, you're the source of everything to me. So we need food and we need forgiveness, verse 12. Our debt is our sin, and God offers forgiveness. That's the power of the cross, isn't it? We don't take God's forgiveness for granted, because the second half of verse 12 says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's the harbor, isn't it? 
The vertical forgiveness flows to horizontal forgiveness. At verse 14, if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will, for will forgive you. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive you. Now, he's not saying that you need X needs to forgive Y before X is forgiven by God. He's not saying that. He is saying that if you have, if you've truly grasped the magnitude of God's forgiveness to you, you can't grasp how much God has forgiven you without that overflowing into forgiveness for other people. And then don't do not bring us into temptation, verse thirteen. He's not saying keep me from the tough times because God uses tough times to mature and grow us. He's saying, don't bring me into the temptation to sin. Don't let me overcome by my sins that I, I struggle to walk with you. But deliver me from the evil one, from Satan, the battle against the spiritual realm, the devil who's prowling around wanting to, to devour us. That's what we pray. For God's glory and for our needs. Now here's the thing, that your heavenly Father he so cares about you. He cares for your physical. He cares for your spiritual. He cares for your material. He cares for your emotional. He wants you to just come before him and just pour your guts out to him. And your personal prayer life will just overflow here on a, on a Sunday. And I've just been praying, been praying that, that our gatherings are authentic and not hypocritical. So there it is. Who are you trying to please? Other people? Yourself? Or your heavenly Father who sees everything, who knows everything, and who loves you with this extraordinary love? He just says, come on, talk to me as your dad. Why don't we pray? Why don't you pray to your Heavenly Father if you're a Christian here tonight? And then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Abel, why don't you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever.